I grew up saying the Apostolic Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Nicene Creed my whole life in a different ecclesiastical communion, the Roman Catholic Church. So when we said in the Creed, the Holy Catholic Church, we mean in a, the universal uh, church, which is what the word Catholic means. It means the church of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Um, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. So I'm in the middle of a, not, I'm just at the outset of a series in the book of Numbers. And for some pastoral reasons, I may take, we're taking a break tonight and looking at something in the Beatitudes. I'm, I, may, I may interject um, Beatitude studies in the midst of the Numbers study. And, and for pastoral reasons, both pastoral reasons for you all and pastoral reasons for me. It, it's um. The book of Numbers, is a very, it's, been, um, it's been quite a challenge for me to preach, um, not, not to get at what some of the truths are, but uh, I know this may sound strange. I try to handle hard things pastorally, meaning I try to be as winsome as I can. I, I know sometimes I can't be winsome, or I just am not winsome, but I try to be. It's not as easy as you think with some of the harder things. So... As a little bit of mercy for me and for you, we'll turn Matthew 5. And um, for sure tonight, and we'll see what happens next week. Um, let me read. The, the Beatitudes run from 5, 1 to, um, well, actually 2 or 3, to, to verse uh, 12 or 13. And then from 12 or 13 to 16, you have what's known as the similitudes that we are like salt, we are like um, uh, light, we're like Christ, which is to say holy. So beatitudes, similitudes, I'm going to read both. We have in, for my purposes tonight, I want to look at, um, I want to look at blessed are the meek, which is actually verse 5. But let me read all of them. Matthew 5, verse 1, the holy word of our holy God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now these are the similitudes. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Again, Lord God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the word of the law that shows us our need of Christ and acts as a schoolmaster to bring us to the gospel, to the cross of Christ.
Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Where would we be uh, apart from the gospel of the cross that we sinners might be cleansed with the blood of the Lamb and made clean, uh, spotlessly clean by his blood? Have mercy upon us all tonight, Lord. Conform us into the image of the beloved, we pray. Amen. So the Beatitudes, um, the word in Greek is makarios. I think the Hebrew counterpart is asher. I've mentioned this before. It can mean blessed or happy, the joyful. Um, This is is an expression of uh, the life of a Christian uh, in, in this life. These are to be normative traits for the lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have mentioned previously that there is one fellow that I know that mentions that the Beatitudes are an expression of the gospel. The Beatitudes are not an expression of the gospel. If I could put them in a category of law gospel, I would put them as law. And it is an expression of those who have received the gospel, and then they will live like this. Gospel is about the person and the work of Jesus and believing in him. And this is an expression of what we are now what we are inwardly and what we do outwardly because we're found in Jesus. So the Beatitudes are a picture of those people that are truly born again, those people that have truly believed in the gospel. Our brother Tony talked this morning about false assurance. And I, I was going to say to him afterwards, I'll say to him right now, the doctrine of assurance is one of my favorite doctrines. And what he spoke about uh, a lot this morning was the business of false assurance because of easy believism, that you say yes to Jesus, sign a pledge card. I'm not picking on those things, but that's all you do. There's no fruit produced from that. And then if you were certain that you were a Christian, that would be built on presumption, false assurance. What we're looking at here is the life of Jesus Christ. This is Galatians 2, uh, uh, verse 20. Paul says, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the Christ in us is going to come out of us. And so once we truly believe, we don't conjure up the fruits of the Holy Spirit, meekness, gentleness, love, patience. They come out of us by virtue of our being joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a very famous book now, Gentle and Lowly. Is it Ortland is the fellow? I want to say he's a Reformed Baptist. And I've been watching some of his videos on other things. He is wonderful. And the gentle and lowly language he's taking from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where it's the only expression of Jesus regarding himself. He, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly. So that's where he gets that title of the book, Gentle and Lowly. And it, it's from Christ. Christ says of himself, I am meek. And so what we're looking at in, in the Beatitudes is the life of Christ coming out of those people who profess to be Christians, that we love Christ, and then we ourselves are being conformed into his image. Romans chapter 8, part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to conform us into the image of Jesus, the perfect God-man. And that, that, that's done in two things, mortifying the flesh, killing the flesh, and vivifying, growing, encouraging righteousness. That's the shaping process. And so all of the Beatitudes, this is not how to be saved, as it were. I I wouldn't use that kind of language, but just so we understand what we're saying. If someone said, what must I do to be saved? I wouldn't say, keep the Beatitudes. What would I say? Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. 
And then the life of those who have truly received Jesus will be those who see themselves as poor in spirit, apart from the righteousness of Christ. Those who mourn for sin because they're sinners, and they mourn so much that they fly to Christ. And those people who are gentle and loving and merciful to other people, that's a Christian. So there are two ways that we can speak of Christian. One is externally or formally, and the other is internally or vitally. And so if someone says, I am a Christian, I think the better part of the Christian church is unconverted, (laughs) is what I think. I think the better part of the Christian church are externally united to the church, externally united to Jesus, but they're not vitally born again. They're not vitally, mystically, spiritually joined to him. And where I'm taking that is Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. The better part of Israel was unconverted in Hebrews 3 and 4. And God swore in his wrath, you're not going to get into heaven. Yet externally and and, uh, formally, they were joined to the household of faith. So I make the distinction between a a person who is formally a Christian, and I'll treat them as a Christian. I'm baptized, I'm a member of a church, I say I'm a Christian. I'll treat you as a Christian. I'll call you saint, hagios, I'll call you brother or sister. But that's a difference between when we look here... Our profession should eventually produce this. Jesus says you will know them by their what? Their fruits. So in 1 John, he has a test for a Christian. It's a, it's a propositional test, a, a, a doctrinal test that you confess Jesus is the Christ. And then you have a practical test. And the practical test is you love God and you love people, which is really what we're looking at here. So for, for us who are born again, who say that the, sh- the love of God has been shed abroad in our, our hearts, that love for God towards us is going to come out of us. We're going to be gentle and loving and kind and forgiving and meek, all of these things because of what God has done to us and for us in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So this, this is, these, these traits are to be normative for, for the born-again Christian. I know it's redundant to say born-again Christian. Now, you may say to me, Pastor... I was tracking with you. You said they, they're poor in spirit, they're gentle, and they hunger and thirst, and they're merciful. You may say to me, I know boatloads of Christians that you don't go to them for mercy. I know boatloads of Christians who are not meek and gentle and lowly. And what could I say back? All human beings have one or two problems. It's either a justification problem or a sanctification problem meaning they're not converted. So as I've said, if you say, well, I know tons of Christians that don't live like that, I, I feel very, very bad for that. I'm not doubting that that's true. I hope we're not one of them. So that's a justification problem. They're not born again. They're not, they're not believers. The other problem is a sanctification problem. If you say, well, I know people that are kind of crabby and they're a little persnickety and they're not really all these nice, gentle things. And I would say to you, yes, I shaved once face this morning. I I really love him uh, a lot. So (laughs) that's a sanctification problem. It means when we come to the Beatitudes, those who are mourned for their sin and they're gentle and merciful to other people, those who are peacemakers and, and they're thirsting for righteousness. In a sanctification sense, we still have the the fallen flesh that needs to be put to death. And Paul says in Romans 7, and I quoted it this morning in James 4 too, we, we, 1 through 10, James 4, 1 through 10, our members are waging war. We're not perfect. I, I, 
I, I don't like to pick on other denominations. The Nazarenes teach out of Methodism a doctrine of perfectionism. And they, they actually teach it. They change some things so it's not quite as silly as I once thought it was, although I don't believe the doctrine of perfectionism. They change the, the definition of a sin for a Christian in order to get where they're, where they're going with their doctrine. There's no Christian that is perfect in this life. N- none. Christ alone kept the law perfectly. So the best Christian, the best Christian, is not glorified on this, in this life. So that means we still sin. So that means in the best of the saints, the best, we're able to look at their lives, or God's able to look at their life, and see, wow, here are some warts here. Here, here are some blemishes here. So one, if we don't manifest these things here, we, we could conclude maybe we're not in Christ vitally. Maybe we're not born again. And then we should test ourselves. Why don't I manifest these things? Have I, have I fled to Christ to save me? Am I relying upon him? So that's one thing. But the other is a sanctification sense. Am I sowing to the flesh or am I sowing to the spirit? Am I looking to Christ? Am I praying to the Holy Spirit to conform me or not? So the sanctification sense, meaning that we still have sins that need to be mortified and righteousness that needs to be vivified, grown, that's the case for every true believer. Every true believer has lots of sin. I mentioned this morning, we have folks that come from different churches and they check us out in the morning and some check us out in the evening. What about this kind of, what about this famous Christian? What about that famous Christian? Well, there have been some famous Christians, really famous Christians, that did and believed and said certain things that would curl your toes. <laughs> I mean, Cal- Calvin in Geneva, you didn't want to have a problem with your marriage. If you were thinking about getting a divorce and you were in Geneva, it might not go well for you. And if you were in Geneva and didn't want to go to the Wednesday prayer meeting, you, you might end up in the clink. <laughs> so, so, so even in the best of saints... We're not glorified. So, when you look at this list, which is meant to be normative to the believer, one, we can test ourselves. Are we in the faith? The other is, these things will only reach their zenith in heaven. We're only going to present, when we look at all of these normative traits of a Christian, we will only present them imperfectly in this life. I think it was Whitfield that said he couldn't wait to die and go to heaven to be separated from sin. And he said especially his own sin. And that, that's, the, that's the cry of every true believer. So we should be able to find ourselves here. That's the life of Christ coming out of us. It's the life of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.19 is the, the deeds of the flesh. And then to the end of that chapter, it lists the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And one of them is gentleness, lowliness, meekness, kindness, that kind of a thing, which is what we're looking at uh, tonight. So as I said, these things will be imperfect, as even for true believers in this life. But I may have said it this morning, I can't remember. These things will be perfected in the next life. There is a next life. True biblical Christianity is decidedly in an in, in otherworldly religion. It's not fundamentally first and foremost for this present life, which the Bible calls a present evil age. Second Peter chapter 3 says this present age that we live in, we should be the best citizens, the best moms, the best dads, the best bricklayers, the best everything that we can be. 
Martin Luther said if he knew Jesus Christ was coming back tomorrow, he'd plant a tree tonight. So we should be the best that we could be. But these things will, will go away. And it's eternity that we're to set our focus on. This is the Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Set your mind on things, what? Above, and not so much on things below. So when we look at longing for these things to be found in us perfectly in the, in the, in the renewed estate, which is the glorified estate, um, th- this is fundamental Christianity. This is one of the sta- things, and I'm not feeling polemical tonight either. I mentioned that this morning. The church has lost its way in many ways, but one of the ways that it has lost its way is it no longer thinks about eternity. The church's best life now, and I'm not just picking on the guy who has a big stadium. A lot of churches that make fun of the best life now do the best life now. They don't talk about dying and going to heaven. They don't talk about Christ coming back and having a new heavens and a new earth, which is what we're going to inherit. So I think it's Martin Lloyd-Jones that said, if you never think of eternity, then this life becomes a, a kind of a hell to you. It doesn't even make sense. Why all the pain? Why all the suffering if this is all there is? So these things are in us imperfectly now, but um, they will be perfect very, very soon. Either one of two things will happen. We will die and go to be with Christ, or Christ will come back for the entire uh, church. One of two things. So let me connect what we're looking at with the third beatitude with the first two, because I'm kind of jumping in in a topical kind of a way. The first beatitude is, um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first and the second beatitude are in reference to one's self. This is how the truly born-again Christian thinks of him or herself. And then when we get to the third one and in, in, in beyond, it will be how the truly born-again Christian thinks about others. And those things are vitally connected. How you think about yourself will indicate in many ways and influence in many ways how you think about other people. And I will say this, how you think about yourself and how you think about other people, it's an inward thing and a hidden thing, but it won't stay hidden. It's going to come out of your mouth. This is in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says, what's in your heart you will come out of your mouth. If you are poor in spirit, that you, you think of yourself, that you have no righteousness before God that all of your righteous deeds are filthy rags. Not just you can quote Isaiah to me, you actually believe it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you really are poor in spirit, that you know that you're all sin, and you of yourself, Paul says, of myself, nothing good lies within me. The Apostle Paul. Apart from the grace of God and the Christ of God, Paul said, there's nothing good. And Paul said all of his former Phariseeism, when he saw the cross, he said it was dumb. He said it was dumb. That's a man who is poor in spirit. And you will know that. You remember the contrast between the man who was poor towards himself in spirit, not thinking he was righteous, in reference to the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. It comes out of your mouth. The Pharisees who trusted for themselves for their righteousness, so they're not poor in spirit. They're rich. They think they're properly in and of themselves righteous. And the, and the Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that you didn't make me like other these, these other people, and I fast, and I do this, and I, 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 I. And then the publican, the tax collector, said what? Lord, be merciful to me, the what? The sinner. 
That's the poor in spirit. That's, this is, blessed is that man, because that's a born again man. The man that says, I thank you, I go to church twice a day, I thank you, I'm an OPC pastor, I thank you, I can read the catechism, I thank you, I can do all of these things, I think I'm, I'm not a drunk, I'm not a whoremonger, I thank you, I'm so good. That's an unconverted man. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how do we think about about ourselves towards our spirit? And I'm not saying we walk around and conjure up like we're fake, humble, bumble, I'm no good, I'm nothing, tell me I'm something. This is one's real heart disposition towards oneself apart from Christ that we are poor in um, spirit. And then the other connection is also Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the morning is not a natural morning. It's an evangelical or grace morning. It's not a morning because you have um, broken your teeth or something like that. It's a morning for sin. But it's self-word. It's, it's, it's a right apprehension of one's sin before God. So the first two are one's thoughts and heart affections towards oneself, poor in spirit. And then mourning for sin, but it's mourning for our sin before God. Our brother, again, talked about Sunday school, repentance. And he mentioned something in a tract. And what he was getting at that was left off was this heart hatred and turning from and endeavoring after new obedience. This, this, This notion of when we mourn for sin, are we really hating it in our hearts? And are we endeavor to turn from it in our lives? And does that evangelical repentance, that heavenly sorrow, drive us to the Lord Jesus? Do we come to Jesus to cleanse us for our sins or not? And I will say this. This is the life of the Christian. I've mentioned this before. The Puritans are my favorite, the English Puritans. And they, and they were perfect. No Christian is perfect. I'm not perfect. Way far from perfect. But I do like them. I consider them to be, for me, the high-water mark. That's just for me. Um, they, they would say two things. The way to tell a Pharisee and a true Christian is this test. A Pharisee is harder on others regarding their sin and easier on themselves regarding their sin. They hate other people's sins more than their sins. And a true Christian flips that around. A true Christian mourns and hates for their sins more than they hate the sins of other people. So here's the question. Whose sins do you mourn for most? Whose sins do you hate most? Other people's? Or yours? The Christian is theirs. And it drives us to Jesus. Now think of those two things. Apart from Jesus, we're, we are poor. We're utterly bereft. We're paupers. Christ is all our righteousness. He's all our riches. Apart from Jesus, we're nothing but sin, and we deserve nothing but the wages of sin, and we believe it for ourselves. If or since we believe that about ourselves, what will that do regarding how we treat other people? If you think you're the best, proud people who think higher thoughts about themselves think lower thoughts towards other people. It's the, it works the exact opposite for a true Christian. We think less of ourselves, we think more of Christ, 
and then we think higher thoughts towards other people. So the people that find their righteousness in Christ, they find forgiveness of their sins in Christ, these are the people and only the people that will, we will see in uh, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, our brother talked about his dad becoming um, radically converted. When you are converted to Jesus and you know what you have been saved from and saved for, it will make you gentler to other people. It just will. You will, you will and not perfectly, as I said, we still have the flesh. It will make you walk softly, more softly before God and men. And that's what the gentleness or the meekness is. How we really believe about ourselves and what we really believe about Christ towards ourselves will influence how we treat other people. That's that fruits business. So how do we treat other people as Christians? Are we always ripping them to shreds? Are we speaking evilly of them? Are we unkind? Are we ungentle? Um, that, that's not the life of a lover of the, the Lord Jesus. And so um, didn't Jesus say concerning the Good Samaritan, um, you see what the Good Samaritan did? Essentially go and do likewise. Uh, we are to be gentle, lowly, merciful, forgiving, kind, long-suffering. Why? Why should you? Because Christ is all of those things to us. All. We who have been forgiven much should go out and forgive much. We who have received the meek one should go out and be meek and gentle towards other uh, people. That's the idea. Now, let's just unpack some things about the gentleness or the meekness, what it's not. It's not an outward or primarily physical characteristic. Meekness will work its way out of us, just like heart belief or, or mind thoughts will work their ways out in our words or our deeds. The same is true for meekness. Meekness is primarily an inward, a heart and mind disposition. It will govern uh, our speech, so we'll either, either have meek or gentle speech uh, and or actions, or, or we won't. But it's not, it's not primarily natural. It's not primarily outward. Remember, the Beatitudes are for those who are found in Jesus. Those who are found in Jesus, really, vitally connected to Jesus, not just formally attached to the church. We are new people. We're born again. We're not the old man. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are new creatures. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about in 12 through 16 that we are spiritual people, that God the Holy Spirit made us spiritual people, not natural people. So when we're looking at meekness, it's not as if to say, well, I know my, my, cousin, uh, uh, my cousin is, is an unbeliever, and uh, they're very meek, they're very gentle, they are peacemakers, more so than unbelief, more so than professing Christians. Have you not ever heard anyone say that? That they can find a card-carrying unbeliever, card-carrying non-Christian, who they say manifests these things better than Christians. Can you not find such a person? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually know some Christians, some non-Christians, excuse me, I think I'd rather hang out with them than some Christians because there are some non-Christians that if I needed some mercy and some kindness, I'd probably go to them faster than some other Christians or at least people that call themselves Christians I know. That's a shame to the church. That's a shame to the church. That's a shame to the Christian who cannot seem to do with God the Holy Spirit and Christ the Holy Son what an unbeliever can do by nature. 
But all that shows us is what Jesus is talking about is something which is graced or evangelical. It's a gift of God in the Christ of God. This is not natural. So can you find a person with a naturally kind or gentle disposition? Yes. Timothy had a naturally tremulous or fearful or gentle or timid disposition by nature. But we're not talking about that. Can I find a a non-Christian that's gentle? Yes. Can I find a Christian that has to struggle with his non-gentleness? Yes. Martin Luther, some of these guys, God used them because they were charged the hill guys. So being meekness is not antithetical to those things. But these guys, uh, some of them, you would not want to go fishing with them because of their flesh. So the particular form of blessing and characteristic is not by nature. It is a gift of God, the Holy Spirit, as I say, Galatians 5. And so when we look at this, this is teaching us as Christians, um, we, are this, we are not natural people. We, we, are, we are born again. We have been made born again by the Holy Spirit. And we are vitally joined to the triune God. And God is himself at work inside of us. And so we are designed for these things, these supernatural things. What meekness is, essentially, I'll give you some synonyms for the Greek word. Meek, gentle, mild, patient. Those kind of things. Meek, gentle, mild, patient. And in the context later that we see it in the Beatitudes, is these thing, this this characteristic of a Christian is especially seen while being abused. Sometimes it's e- easier to, well, you know, I'm doing great. I'm I'm loving Jesus. I love people. Everything's going swimmingly. No one's opposing me. And then when you turn up the opposition, you turn up the heat. Sometimes what comes to the the top is dross. It doesn't look like Christ. And so sometimes a person's self-proclamation of what he or she is in Christ, they may not perceive what they really are because they're in easy times. This meekness, this gentleness, this, this kindness is seen especially when we're under abuse or being provoked or in hard times. Uh, we are what we are, especially seen in hard uh, times. So the, the notion of meekness, gentleness, brings with it the idea of submissiveness, a, a positive passiveness. And I know, depending on how you were raised, uh, my dad was extremely emotional, uh, very, very gentle, very, very merciful, very, um, very loving. But he also had another side. It was whatever would be commonly called the man's man side. But then he was, he was more emotional than my mother. Um, so he, it wasn't, I don't say masculine, feminine side. That's kind of silliness. But my point with this is when we hear some of these traits, I don't want us to recoil and say, well, I'm a man. And men are not meek and gentle. Men are men and we go out and we're manly. <sighs> Read the Bible. Read the Bible. I mean, did Jesus walk in and just kick over like the barroom chair and start beating up people and flipping? <laughs> no, he did the. He, he said, "I'm lowly. I'm gentle. And we're we're lamb-like. The Holy Spirit w- works a dove-like image in us. Christ's purpose is to take us from being children of wrath 
um, lions and dogs and bite and devour to be the lambs of Jesus Christ. That's what we are. We're lambs. It's not antithetical to being a real man, whatever a real man. You want to be a real man? Stay married to your wife and work a job every day. And you're a real man. And love Jesus and go to church. Amen. You're a real man. So the notion of being like a tough guy, real man, sometimes they, they, we have a, and I suppose I'm not against being a tough guy, but it's not antithetical to this. Does that make sense? Gentle and so on. There's a famous uh, UFC fighter. He's actually a Muslim and uh, from Dagestan. And they showed him with a little girl who came over to him with his picture. She wanted him to sign it. And she had a little headdress on. She was cute as a button. And she was overcome and she started crying. And he just reached over and kissed her on the top. Here's a guy that could break us like a pretzel. <laughs> and it was very, very becoming. Here's this tough guy who kissed this little girl on her little noggin. So, so both can, can exist. So when we think of this, this is, a, this is a proper submission to Christ, both in precept in the Bible and in providence, and kindness and gentleness towards other people, even when the people, especially when the people... <laughs> are provoking the stuffing out of us. And that brings me to, perhaps if we could understand this better, if we could look at the opposite of what it means to be meek or uh, gentle. The meekness that we're talking about is the opposite of um, angriness, a quarrelsomeness, revengefulness, bitterness, peevishness. Christ has set us free from that tyrant of malice. And I would say that the, the greatest tyrant that the Christian suffers with, I, maybe even more than the devil as a tyrant, which we're no longer under the dominion of the devil. He can pester us, but he can't hold us. I think the greatest tyrant that the Christian really struggles with is the tyrant of self. One of the reasons people are so peevish and angry and thin-skinned and not gentle and not meek is because of the tyranny of self. We're just absorbed with self. Everything is a slight against self and everything exists to serve me and my will is being thwarted. So I'm angry and we put a negative light on anything anyone ever does to us and then therefore we're not meek to them. Christ has freed us from the tyranny of our self. Our self-worth is not found properly in, in ourselves. We don't have... To, this is, sometimes guys are, think their self-worth is tied up in their work. I mean, I'm for work. I'm for work. Whatever the work may be, as long as it's lawful, I'm for work. But your self-worth isn't tied up in it, whether you're a man, woman, boy, or girl. So if those things are struck at by another human being, we don't have to get angry with them because all of our worth is bound up in Christ. We're his children. He loves us. We're loved by him, used by him. And so we simply don't have to be driven half mad by this worship of self, which comes out in peevishness. And that allows us to be gentler and kinder towards um, other people. That's because we're new creatures in Jesus uh, Christ. Paul says, I, I myself urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. This is why Christ says, I'm gentle and lowly. And the Bible comes along and says, blessed are the gentle and lowly. Because we're being conformed into the image of Jesus. When we speak and think and act in a way which is contrary to Christ, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can and sometimes will grieve us. 
This is a Hebrews 12, 1 through 12. He scourges, he disciplines all those he loves. So all of these things are the life of Christ coming out of us. Um, The Holy Spirit. Sometimes people say, well, only Pentecostals talk about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not spoken about or of in the Presbyterian Church, let's say. Well, I I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. I, I don't know. I try to be Trinitarian in my preaching. Um, I believe in the the truth of the Trinity. But the three persons of the Godhead, spiritually speaking, uh, are inside of us. This is a first uh, Corinthians chapter three, chapter six as well. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter says in first Peter chapter one or two that we we are living stones being built up into this living holy temple of God, of Christ. And so when we talk about being meek or gentle, this is not mamby-pamby. This is not, well, I don't have enough power to resist you, therefore I have to be spineless and cowardly. That's not meekness. That's not gentleness. This is evangelical. This is informed by the Bible. This is Christ-like. This is Christ-like in the reliance upon Christ in us, in reliance upon God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. Could Jesus have on the cross... Could he have destroyed every hater of his instantaneously and got off? Could he have done it? Of course he could, but he didn't because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the meek one, and he's the one who is, who is omnipotent. So meekness and gentleness is not contrary to power or courage or what have you, but it's, it's the life of the Holy Spirit coming out of us. Another thing that helps us live gently, kindly, meekly before other people, submissively even, is we as Christians, remember I said Christianity is fundamentally another worldly kind of a religion? So I've mentioned this before. There is a saying, you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I don't believe that statement. I think the exact opposite of that statement, to tell you the truth. I think if we're more heavenly minded, we will do more earthly good. This is a 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and a Colossians 3, 1 through 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, we don't look at the, the temporal things. We look at the eternal things. That's how Paul could go through all of the suffering and all of the abuse and then tell them, I love you for Christ's sake. I'm going to extend the blessing of God in Christ to you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you're converted. Wait a minute. They're trying to beat you with sticks and you're going to pray for their conversion gently and meekly. How are you doing that? Because Paul does his ministry with an eye to eternity. When we forget eternity, and this is going to happen the closer we get to to November, when we forget as Christians eternity, we lose our peace and we're filled with anxiety. We're filled with anger and we won't live gently and meekly. We'll live like lions and tigers and bears because we think... We have to control the here and now. But when we think with an eternal perspective, I think it's J.I. Packer, Packer that says, live in light of eternity. And Packer was taking the same idea from Jonathan Edwards. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes. When we think, the moment we leave here and enter the eternal estate, what will happen to all the anxiety and bitterness and lack of gentleness for all the reasons? Well, it will be meaningless. I wonder if we get in heaven and think, why was I so silly? 
to waste my time being bitter and anxious and anger? Why, why was I more kind and gentle and meek in light of what we're experiencing? And so the Bible does call us as Christians to live in light of eternity. And this is why I hate to be redundant, but only the born again Christian can live in light of eternity because the formalist Christian doesn't know Christ. They don't understand eternity. They're living for here and now, but not so the true believer. So Jesus says, and, uh, and, um, and he gives the promise, the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, there is a common proverb, which I think to some degree is true. Might makes what? <laughs> right. My dad used to have this saying, the, uh, I live by the golden rule. The man with the gold makes the rules. That's not biblical, beloved. It's not biblical. It's obnoxious to God. But as far as man-to-man relationships, that's about right. That's about right. The guy with the gold calls the shots. And might does make right. Man-to-man. You understand what I'm saying. Most countries, how did they start? A bunch of guys with swords and spears came in with a bunch of guys against some other weapon, and, and they beat them. They killed them. How about our kingdom? Our Savior dies for his people. And then when Christ comes back, it won't be us that's going to take the earth, take dominion. Read the Bible. We're going to inherit it. It's not what we have done. It's not do your good works or be a tough guy and take over the, I don't know how you would take over whatever. You're going to inherit it because Christ has purchased it. And the Bible says, and the kingdoms of men will become the kingdoms of our Christ, and we enter into the eternal estate. I want to read something to you, and then I, I, uh, I'm going to be quiet. We will, the meek, the kind, the gentle, will inherit the earth. Um, J.I. Packer writes this um, in the Puritan vision for the Christian life. Now listen to this. This is my beloved Puritans. The Puritans lost, more or less, Every public battle they fought. (laughs) Those who stayed in England did not change the Church of England as they hoped, and eventually they were driven out of Anglicanism. Those who crossed the Atlantic, ready, (laughs) failed to establish New Jerusalem in New England. It's not by our power and might. It's not by a political program, and I'm not against politics. It's It's not any of those things. The new heaven and the new earth that we are longing for, the new Jerusalem, we're not going to bring it in. It's going to be given to us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among them. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people. God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give. It's grace, not works. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He 
he who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be his, my son to the meek. To the meek who are found in the meek one, Christ. You will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. May God bless the preaching of his word.